Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Everybody, your saltwater guide, Captain Dave Hansen, with another phenomenal podcast for you today. This one's brought to you by Deckhand Sports. Remember, if you want to take good care of your catch, you want to make sure that you're involved with Deckhand Sports. We'll show you a cool little video a little later in the show, show you how uh, their kill bags work, all the different things that Dave and the boys over at Deckhand Sports have come up with. We'll show you that video in just a little bit. But today we have a very, very special guest, another IGFA Hall of Fame captain, good friend of mine, longtime friend, Mr. Steve Lasley is going to join us today, gang. And you want to make sure that you're listening to this one. Hit the share button, share this with everybody because this man has some unbelievable stories fishing back in the day. We'll, We'll get into a little bit about Team Bad Company and that stuff, but the meat and potatoes, how he learned how to fish and everything is what we're going to try to focus on for the beginning of the show. So, hey, Elliot, without any further ado, let's bring Steve in. His time super valuable. I don't want to waste it. Hey, hey buddy, guys. welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I kind of know how you started out in this industry, but you know what? There's a lot of people. You've done a lot of interviews. We talked about all the cool things you're doing nowadays, but let's go deep. Let's get back into the very beginning of time. Let's figure out how you got into this fishing thing, where it all started, how you got this passion. Because like I try to teach everybody is it's about taking kids fishing. Once we get those children, and you and I talked about it before the show started. Once our children get into it, that you get to find out if they have the passion that we have. It's hard to keep the passion that you and I have. But if they're just into fishing at all, you're, you feel like you won the lottery when they ask you to go fishing. Oh, yeah, man. It's really funny. You know, looking today, I see all my grandkids and stuff and you can tell which ones it's in their DNA. You know, it's just they're they're that golden retriever with the tennis ball. They can't get enough of it. But so uh, kind of the way I started, they brought me on the pier from the time I was like one or two years old and used to play around in the bucket with the chovies on the pier. And uh, then I found an alternate gear type and used my mom's brand new vacuum to catch the goldfish in the bowl and (laughs) <laughs> and then I moved up from there to uh, the sport boats. You know, I used to fish in all the local lakes. We used to have a lot of local lakes you could go to and reservoirs when I was a kid. I used to spend a lot of time there and then um, started on the sport boats with uh, when your dad gave me a chance and Dave Reynolds and um, Kevin and and those guys back on the Sun Fun. I think it was uh, 72. Amazing that you go back that far. My dad, like you tell a lot of times you talk about the story. My dad gave you your first opportunity to work on a boat. And then Dave Reynolds and Kevin Moseman, I remember fishing with those guys when I was a kid. What a spectacular way to grow up fishing with those guys. They were insane. Yeah, I used to make Dave crazy because I'd ride up on the bridge with him. And every he had that paper machine running full speed, you know. And every little scratch that came on the screen, I'd ask him what that was, you know. And I was always super curious as you know, to how all that bottom machine stuff worked. But, yep, I remember uh, I was probably 13 or 14, and, and the first time that everybody no-showed, I think they got sick, and I was the only crew member, and I was pushing the anchor over by myself and felt like uh, quite the young stud doing that. It, it was uh, pretty heady stuff for a young man, for sure. Think about this, gang. Dana Point Harbor was uh, opened up in 1971. When Steve was working for my family there at Dana Point, there was no buildings in the harbor. There was a trailer. Remember, Steve? Yeah, no, it was just one trailer and the and the ramp and and uh, and the sport boats backed in there. There was uh, and the harbor patrol was on the other side, but they were even in a makeshift building the the first year that I was there. Yeah, it's quite quite amazing. This the. the uh, when you look back in time and the pictures that my dad and my sister post at Dana or sport fishing is uh, you can kind of think about that trailer and standing there waiting for Dave Reynolds and Kevin to show up and grab you and take you down on the boat and go down. There was one ramp 
we had one dock and we did, and you had to get out there and get the boats and then come out on the skiff and do that whole thing. It was pretty bitching way to grow up, right? Yeah, man. And, you know, at the end of the day, any bait that was left over, the fishing in the harbor was good. I mean, we used to catch sea bass and a lot of halibut and you know, jack smelt and all that type of stuff. It was, it was a good way to grow up for sure. And then from there, I, I met uh, Rick and, uh, um, you know, Rick kind of took me under his wing on the patrician there for a little bit. And then uh, he bought a commercial boat called the Smoke It. Yeah. And I think I was like 16 when he bought that or something, you know, Dozberg. And then uh, I wound up buying a commercial boat when I was 17, still in high school. And we bought just a hull and wound up sticking a motor in that ourselves and wired it all ourselves and put the decks on it and fish hold. And I graduated from high school uh, half a year early and took off fishing. That. So then you were commercial fishing, but then you came back and you were working for one of my really good buddies, Don Brockman. You were running the old sport fisher, Twilight Fish. I was working with him during the day, and then you would show up and run the Twilight, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I only had that first boat for about a year and a half or two years or something. It, it wasn't a great boat. Don't get me wrong. We, I don't know how we survived, actually. And uh, But, you know, we, we, we caught quite a bit of rockfish and some albacore and we used to sell everything then we'd catch a lot of bonita and sell to the lobster fishermen for bait. But, um, I started running sport boats again in 79, I guess. Yeah. And then, um, I only worked for Brockman a little bit, just, just twilights. Right. Uh, those were pretty fun times. <laughs> you used to, I remember you used to take the paper meter and you would unroll it and you would, Cause we'd be out there fishing sand bass in the morning. He'd go, come here, Hans, look at what he did today. And you draw fish pictures on the paper. Oh yeah. And then roll it back on. I didn't know you were around then. That's yeah. So we, we'd draw all these different type of fish and roll it back on the paper. So when he was, when he was unwinding it and then uh, that same meter that you had to turn it on just right. And I didn't, wasn't able to turn it on right one night and I just ripped it off the wall and threw it over the side and the next <laughs> up and there was no meter on the boat yeah and don we didn't have any type of cell phones or anything back then oh my god look at that picture look at that guy yeah you don was so pissed off that day because yeah it was a combination flasher pedometer i remember and he was like god there damn it Asley took the he took it. He took it. And I'm like, he took it. He goes, yeah, he took the meter. We have no meter today. I'm like, he took it. Why did he take it? And then when we got in that night, you go, I threw that damn thing over. You need to buy a new one, dude. This thing sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot, a lot of good stories. I mean, we both used to run at five o'clock in the morning and uh, my boat was faster than his. I, I ran the channel aisle out of Newport. Then I'd come in from that and go run his boat twilight. And just shows you I, I couldn't get enough. But um, we'd come up behind him and we'd have egg fights with him as we were going across to the island. And we'd, uh, all my passengers, they started bringing their own eggs and stuff. And <laughs> we got a little out of hand there at times, but we were throwing salad. And then his guys started throwing knives and forks and beer bottles and stuff back. So we had to shut it off after two or three weeks. But for two or three weeks, it was pretty fun. <laughs> Those were some fun old times. And then you got back into commercial fishing, right? Yeah, uh, I was still doing it at the same time. It's kind of a long story. I, I guess I can tell it now. So I owned a boat called The Agitator with a guy, Brian Ross. And um, Ivan was running the Channel Isle, and uh, him and Art got in an altercation on the dock. And uh, I wouldn't, wasn't allowed to work at Art's Landing anymore. I beat up Art, and he jumped in the water, and the cops were chasing him down. And... Um, Anyway, I put Ivan on my commercial boat then, and he went commercial fishing. That's how I wound up running the sport boat. But but um, And then I ran the dorsal. Out. That's the way I got into yachts. I didn't really like the gill net thing, the drift net fishery for the swordfish. I only did it just a little tiny bit, but I, for whatever reason, I, I didn't care for it. I'm not bagging on it. It was a great fishery, and those guys made a lot of money, and they were able to support their families and, and stuff like that. But I wanted to stay with the harpoon fishery even though it wasn't near as viable as the 
the drift net. So I got on the dorsal with Elmer in 1980 and I, I fished that about three seasons, 80, 81 and 82. And that was kind of my introduction into yachts. I shouldn't have really been there. I, I didn't have an idea how to maintain a boat. I, I was a commercial fisherman sport boat guy, but he was real patient with me and spent all the extra money to get me all the help I needed with uh, learning how to paint and varnish. He hired a bunch of the best guys around and got me going like that. But even then I was still fishing cod commercially during the winter. There's a kind of, you see that I just threw up on the screen. That guy kind of helped you catch a couple. <laughs> best pilot of all time. Carl is. Carl is the man. God, his pictures are just insane for those of us that have never got to harpoon fish. Just to see all the stuff he puts out on his social media, it's pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 can I tell one quick story about him? Absolutely. I want you to. So we, we were on the Mirage and, and we were all kind of in a, in a uh, bad light situation, heavy clouds. And uh, Carl comes flying into the middle of the the, the fleet there, there was three or four of us in the fleet and we all had our planes up and he's like, Hey guys, you mind if we take a little look around here? And I said, yeah, man, go ahead. Take a little look around. And he, he picked off five of them and um, none of the other pilots had found one. And that's, that's just the way the guy was. He would, you know, he wouldn't necessarily see the whole fish. He'd see a little piece of the belly or see something shine off of something and he'd go over and check it out. But yeah, there's, there's nobody like Carl. Carl's the man. And gang, you're watching these videos Elliot's throwing up there. These are pictures from Carl's airplane. He's taking this stuff all the time. You want to follow Air Pelikia over there on Instagram. It's pretty spectacular. The things that he's able to see out there on the water are just absolutely mind-boggling. If you haven't been up in the airplane, for a guy like me that spends his time on the water, seeing what Carl's seeing from the airplane is a totally different thing, right, Steve? Yeah, it's a whole different perspective, you know, and it, it teaches you a lot. I, I learned so much listening to these guys talk, you know, I, I was real fortunate. I got to have four or five different pilots and I had Carl for a few seasons and, and, you know, he's been a good friend for a lot of years, but um, their perspective is so much different than ours. And, you know, it, you, you take little bits and pieces from every fishery and every situation and every instance that you come in on the water and, you put them all together and if you process stuff properly, you know, you're just trying to get to be in that hundred percent and taking little bits and pieces from every little thing gets you that much closer to that hundred percent. Yeah. This, those videos are just incredible. There's one that I really, really got into watch. I watch it like 10 times in a row is I don't know how you ended up in that spot, Carl, but you were watching that spreader bar go by and that tuna was hanging out next to it. And then the next thing you know, you watch that tuna react on the spreader bar. You watch him eat it. Then you watch what he does after he eats it. That gave me a whole different idea of what we're doing out there and how to approach it and which way to turn the boat and the way they act. Because like we say all the time on this show, and Steve will tell you, if you want to be successful when you're out there on the water, every single thing matters. Everything matters. <laughs> I can call Steve up and he can tell me what the water looked like in 1991 at four o'clock in the afternoon where he was fishing at. He, that's, you write down everything, which blew my mind when we sat down and you started showing me some of your old notes and stuff. You took it to a whole different level where I was just lucky that I was stayed alive through all that. But you were writing it all down. Yeah, you man. You know, I, 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 I was just super fortunate, you know, that. I don't know, for whatever reason, you know, God gives everybody some different talents and stuff, but everybody sees stuff different. And I did, I wrote everything down, man. I wrote down notes on everything and I go back and read them still today. And there's stuff that I remember, you know, or things that I still live by today that haven't changed. And uh, then there's been a lot of things that, you know, have changed over the years, but like you're saying, you pay it, the, the more you pay attention, the greater your rewards. If you if you like boating and you want to go for a boat ride and you want to put a couple lures out, there's nothing wrong with that. Go knock yourself out. But, you know, you if, if you go out against guys that got four or five guys in binoculars and, and you know, they're, they're everybody's paying attention and they're working hard from the minute they get up till the minute they go to bed and, you know, they're looking at rotations of wind directions and tides and, you know, what the fish are reacting and they're in the appropriate wind areas for the way the fish are 
are, are acting, you know, and they're putting the whole thing together. You're going to get your feelings hurt day in and day out, you know, and if you're okay with it, that's cool. But if you want to be successful, the more you pay attention. And yeah, like we were saying, everything, everything matters. And I got the opportunity to fish with you a couple of years ago with my good buddy, Steve Campbell. We came down there to Cabo and I, I was just sitting there in the bridge with you the whole day, just like being at school, even though I've been on the water my whole life, I've never, I don't know anything compared to the next guy. I always want to learn. And someone like you, that's actually been there and done most of the things I can send you a picture of a fish. You tell me what it is. You, you even tell me, Hey, did you catch that over here in this? I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. I don't know how you do that, but it's pretty incredible. The day I was out fishing with you and you guys found a swordfish and you're like, Hanson, look, and I go, yeah. He goes, you see it? I go, yeah. He goes, in a minute, it's going to sink out. And I go, why? And he goes, see that little breeze right there? As soon as it touches its fin, it's going to sink out. And I'm like, huh? And I'm watching in the gyros. And all of a sudden, that wind touched it. He was gone. And you're like, that's what happens down here. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Another story. And I want to get back into this commercial thing, rock cod and all that stuff. But I want to tell you guys a really phenomenal Steve Lasley story that he probably doesn't even remember because he has he helps so many people. But I was took the wild and sack down to Mag Bay to go fish that marlin. This was the year that stuff did not show up. It was the last time it wasn't there because it's been pretty good since then. And I'm dying. I'm I'm dying. I'm, I'm anchored at Tosca and I'm hanging out and I don't know what to do. And I grabbed the sat phone and I called you. And I said, Steve, I, I need a Hail Mary. My guy wants to catch a marlin. We haven't got any. We've been down We're here. Off the brain, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he tells me, okay, give me an hour. I'll call you back. I go, all right. In an hour, he calls me back and he goes, listen, be right here at gray light. And if you're right there at gray light, you're going to get them. And I'm like, all right. I told my guys, I go, we're going to leave here at four in the morning. We're going to be there at gray light. I'll tell you what, we got seven marlin and my boss got a 450 pound blue. He'd never even seen a blue marlin and all that because I, and I don't know how to, I, I don't even, we could go into that could be a whole show on how you figure that stuff out in the, the, the charts and all the stuff you use, but that was a magical day and you saved me and it was just so special and so spectacular. And that's just one of the many, many things of having you as a friend. You just save me all the time. It's just really, really helpful to have you as a friend in this world. So thank you that for that very, very much. Hey, Casey. I, I want to jump back and I want to go. When you were commercial fishing rock cod and I was working for Thompson on the Patrician and we were out there commercial fishing and he was like, Lasley's got a ton of cows on the boat. And I'm like, we got like five and there's four of us fishing hundred hooks. And that was just an incredible time in the fishery. Wasn't it back in the early eighties? Oh yeah. We, we, we definitely figured some stuff out with all the set gear. You know, we were, we were doing the same thing. We were fishing like um, five sets of buoy gear with the, with the fixed hooks with a hundred hooks on each one. And then we would uh, drop rod and reels and uh, we'd rod and reel, you know, 30, 40 hook ganyans around. And um, yeah, that was, that, that was the very first years the Loran C were out. We we're talking about that earlier, you know, in my head, the Loran C number is still 28 numbers. You go towards the beach and they get bigger and the 40 numbers you go West, it gets bigger. And I, I could probably still put the boat on a spot better with a Loran than I could with a, with a, with a um, GPS unit. But um at that time, we, we'd rod and reel around till we found where the bigger loads of the fish were, and then we'd go drop the set lines there. And then while those were soaking, we'd go rod and reel around other areas. And yeah, man, that was a great fishery. I, I love it. I miss it. I, I probably made more money fishing rockfish than probably most anything when it comes down to it, as far as, you know, expenses versus what you put in your pocket at the end of the trip. And man, when I was just a kid, Looking back, it was just crazy. You know, it was fun. It was super fun fishing. It was super long hours. And your hands were always a wreck. And money was really good, man. It was a great fishery. Oh, I did it. back in those days, rent was like two or three hundred dollars a month. And you had a really nice place to stay. And we were I don't know what you were getting a pound, but I remember we were getting 25 cents a pound for junk and 75 cents a pound for reds and cows. 
Think about that, gang. And we were catching enough fish to pay food, fuel, boat getting a percentage, and us getting money and going. But like Steve said, you would work from when you got on the boat, you would tie Ganyans all the way out there to the Tanner or the Cortez or the 7090. We would tie those Ganyans forever and ever and ever with nine odd hooks. I and then you couldn't wait to be the guy. And then you had to bait all thousand hooks. And then you wanted to drop your, there was a different world back then. We worked our butts off. You can't find very many people nowadays that want to work. Yeah, it was, it was good though. You know, it was super rewarding because of that, you know, and uh, I bought my first house when I was 19 and most of that was rock cut money. Most of it was rockfish money. The, the glamour stuff, you know, I made some money at it too, but Nothing like that rockfish fishery. It's got a deer. I still like rockfish fishing. I, I still get excited to, to, I don't care what it is, so long as it's biting, you know? Yeah. Bait fish, I don't care. Rockfish and calico bass, those are my two very yeah. most favorite. Because calico bass, you're in a beautiful spot. You're not staring yeah. at the gyros all day. And then rock cod, if you're like Steve. It's all good. I, yeah, but you know, when you know, where the fish are and you can drive over there and drop your bait down, you know, you're going to catch them. There's that makes life pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know exactly the spot you were talking about on the patrician, like you're saying all that stuff. I don't know why it sticks in my head. I can't remember a conversation I had with a guy yesterday, but a lot of the time, but anything to do with fishing. Yeah. I remember what lure or what bait and what size leader and current or it just all sticks in my head for whatever reason, DNA. Yeah, I understand. So let's stop for one second, gang. It's all about fish care. Steve's caught a lot of fish, commercial fish in. I have. We're going to show you a bag that is absolutely incredible right now. And I want you to watch this just for a second, Steve. Look at the ribs they put in this kill bag to keep your fish out of that water. Hey, Elliot. pretty special the way they put those ribs in the bottom of that bag and he's got a tie down on top of a tie down because you know every boat steve is totally different so you got all those bitching tie downs that's a pretty spectacular bag gang yeah i wish we had that back in the day yeah and the way he built those ribs keep those fish out of that water make them look nice and red when you bring them into market i mean that's kind of what they were all looking for when we bring those reds and cows in they want to see those things shining orange that's a pretty killer bag, gang. You may want to check it out. Grab the QR code Elliot flashed on the screen there. Save yourself some money on buying that kill bag. And if you're looking for one for Christmas, I think Dave's got a pretty good deal for all members of your saltwater guide. Grab that code, that QR code right there. You save 15% on the bag. And if you can't see the code, if you're driving around listening to this podcast, put in the code YSWG and the number 15 when you go to check out. And that's how you'll save your 15% gang. So thanks Elliot for showing that to us. I want to get back into talking about rock cotton for a minute with you, Steve, because you were talking about the Loran C. I remember when they brought that machine out and I was working with Wiggy on the Patrician and we were fishing the 7090 and we're all in the wheelhouse because we had the alarm set on there to tell us when we were going to start to see it coming up on the ELAC, the old paper graph. And we're all standing around. The alarm goes off and Wigman goes, if this works and we start seeing the bottom, oh my gosh, there's no fish in the ocean that's got a chance. Right. And then all Here it's going. And then you start seeing the bottom coming up. We're like, uh-oh, this is a game changer, right? Yeah, those were the days, man. And paper machines and Loran C, you know, and, and uh, yeah, he, he, I still got piles of notebooks full of Loran C numbers still to and, this day. And you have notebooks that I saw when you were showing them to me on the old boat you used to run. You have the paper, 
you used to take the paper graph paper and cut it out and put it on your notes. Yeah. So you, you were so doing. You, you so were doing you that stuff. part of the bank. You were coming up on yeah, but just looking at the bottom. But um, we used to wallpaper our bat. Or we we had a you know kind of a, a guy's crash pad and we wallpapered some rooms with it. And one was the Tanner room and one was the Cortez room and one was the 7090. And, and we keep going back to the same banks, but that's primarily the, the three that, that, that we were fishing. We spent a lot of time at Clementi too, you know, when we get blown out or, or Nick or something, but um, Santa Barbara Island, we, we, we but mo, mo, mostly we were offshore there when we could, that's, that's where we always had all the big hits. We, we could scratch and make a trip on the inside, but all the big hits were always offshore. Yeah, those and those fish are still there. It's unfortunate that we can't fish for them anymore because they haven't gone anywhere. They're better. I mean, could you imagine dropping a hundred hooks down there now? <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> Shh, we won't talk about that. No. So, so then you were doing the rock cod thing, and then what? And then I know that, and we can't really talk about that drift net thing because. I talked to Campbell about it for a while. It's just something we don't want to talk about. But how did you get into the swordfish harpoon fishery, which you are one of the very best in the industry? So I'd love to know how you got into that. Well, you, you know, um, I, I got into it with Jock. I was actually trying to buy his commercial boat. He had a little 37 Vega. And um, long story short, I wound up fishing part of a season with him. We did some albacore and sword and uh, swordfish for a season. And then, um, we kind of went our separate ways. He sold the boat and that's when I bought the agitator um, was the following year, uh, 78. And that was the best swordfish season of all time, you know, and it's all, it's always easiest to learn something when, when you're in a target rich environment versus scratching around. And I mean, there, there was days that it was ridiculous. The volume of fish that was in 78, typically there'd be like 200, 250 swordfish permits in a year back then in the seventies. And, I think it went up to 1,700 or 1,900 permits and literally everything that floated. There was guys out there on skipjacks with a diving board screwed to their deck and a ladder for a tower. And, you know, they were getting five or 10 or 15 or 20. And um, we, we were after it pretty hard then. And uh, so and then, you know, I just I kind of dabbled in it on and off and owned a couple other boats. And then uh, I, I got back into it again. I think it was in 94 with uh, uh, Glenn Stoller on the Mirage operation. And that's, that's really where, um, you know, I was, Gary and I were going head to head and he knew way more about it early on than I did. And I learned a lot from him and, and uh, we were actually wound up um, talking together on the sideband. We had our own frequency and it was more so we'd stay out of each other's area um, not so much as, Hey, we're getting them over here. It was, we, we each needed like 20 miles, 20 square miles with operations we had. And we were all looking at the same sea surface temperature stuff at the time. So it was just a way we'd keep our airplanes apart and from hitting in midair. And also, uh, you know, it never was good if there was 10 fish to cut up those 10 fish, two ways, you know, one guy get three and one guy get seven or whatever. Better if the other, you know, if you got all 10 of them and, you weren't in them pretty deep, you know, then you run around and look around. So, yep, that was it. And then Carl flew for you during that time? No, he was my enemy back then. Oh, and, oh he was flying for Gary, huh? Oh, yeah, he was the enemy. And it, those were probably some of the best days of my life. And and uh, every day was a tournament, you know, and, and uh, everybody was super secretive and you know, we all had our Bearcat scanners and Johnny Foster was the master of it. He taught us a lot about the Bearcats and, um, you know, all the limit switches. And pretty much if somebody breathed the word swordfish and they were within 50 miles, we heard it. And uh, we all had ways of breaking everybody's codes. There was only a, a few scrambler chips that we couldn't break, but we knew how to break everybody's codes. And the airplane would have a decoder. We'd have one in the bucket. We'd have one on the bridge. So as soon as somebody started talking was always a big thing to see who could bust them first, um, who could break their code down. But uh, it was it was pretty intense. It was a it was a it was a very very high energy operation that we were running. I, I probably couldn't pull it off today, again at that level. But dang, it was it was pretty fun. Yeah, it was like a little competition, but also you were making good money, right? You guys were making a pretty good living doing it. Oh yeah, and we, and you know we. Uh, 
there was one point we had uh, two full crew. We had a daytime crew and a nighttime crew. And uh, we'd, we'd anchor the boat up once the season opened in the middle of uh, June for the sea bass. We'd put the nighttime crew on there too with Billy Zeiler and Ryan Burr. And then um, I'd tell them, you know, we'd anchor up someplace, we'd catch our bait, then we'd go anchor up. We've got to spend the night anyway, might as well be making some money. So I'd tell them, wake me up after you got five or after you got seven or 10 or whatever the number was. And they'd come bang on the door and we'd all pile out and we'd catch them until we caught enough to fill up our markets, you know, usually 40, 50, 60 fish. And then we'd go back to bed and the nighttime crew would process them. And then they'd go to bed and then we'd get up in the morning and go sword fishing. And then if the sword fishing got really good, we'd get those guys up to help. So um, it's pretty awesome. If you like fishing, it was pretty awesome, man. And we'd switch halibut, yellowtail, sea bass, you know, whatever. Yeah, when Steve talks about fishing that sea bass when he was swordfish fishing, he he kind of just, he's so humble, he kind of just let let that come out of 50, 60 fish. Gang, it was not one day like that with Steve, because he learned from Alan Watson, the yeah, king man. of Catalina. Alan's like the man. The guy was, when we were all fishing, tuna and albacore and running offshore alan was studying catalina picking it apart and that that man knows a lot about that island i love alan and he's such a good he's guy yeah yeah he, he helped me a ton and it's really funny you're talking about the albacore and, and going albacore fishing there was so many times when we'd be anchored on a couple of spots and we'd have four or five guys just bent everybody bent on sea bass and a bunch of the boats going albacore fishing would go so close to us, we could see in their bridge, but we were completely dark. Only have one very dim light on and one very dim anchor light on on purpose. And we could literally see in the guy's bridge windows and see, look at their meters and stuff as they were driving by us. <laughs> and, and we'd have, you know, a half a ton of sea bass or something and shut it off. And then you hear their fish reports when they'd come back in and they were having like two albacore, five bluefin. You know, it was just really slow fishing, and we're thinking, oh, man, I want to tell these guys, but we just couldn't. Thank you very much for that, Beach Cowboy. I appreciate that. But the the thing that you're talking about, you guys were like, not hiding out, but you gang, they didn't have all the lights on and everything because you didn't want to attract a crowd. You didn't want to bring a bunch of people in there. That sea bass does not like a lot of noise, right? No, man, the, the, the crowds would kill it. And, you know, anytime that, that we saw another boat, we'd, you know, everybody does the same thing. You point your rod straight at the fish and you pretend you're not bit, sit on the rail or even break it off, you know. And sometimes we'd look around for three or four days to find the right spot that we could sit on for three or four days. And then, you know, if somebody busted you on it, you were pretty much done. There was one night I, we, we caught our 30 or 40 or whatever it was, 80. And, and I think it was 80 that night. And I got up in the morning. And uh, there was 50 boats anchored around me. And I'm like, what in the world happened? I was the only boat here for two days. Well, somebody saw us and they put it out on whatever that first website was that, but yeah, that's some of the background. <laughs> fun. A lot of fun times. Oh my gosh. So cool. And then all of a sudden now you got into Marlin fishing, which was kind of the thing and then team bad company you guys put together some phenomenal tournaments things the gold cup at catalina the drambui all that stuff can you talk about that for a little bit yeah well uh, pete and i started fishing tournaments together during the off times and everything uh i think it was 87 beak was a part of it too in 87 and and Pete and I kind of became the core of a team and we'd have two or three other guys come in and augment the team. And we did really well for a long time. You know, we, I, in, on the Colleen in 1991, 92, I, we won uh, the gold cup back to back to back, uh, two Catalina and one Cabo. And then uh, the Cabo one still the, was the record. Uh, it held up all the way through. And then, um, we fished on a bunch of different boats. You know, the After Midnight was one of them. We had a ton of success on that boat. We, we kind of went from boat to boat to boat for a lot of years. And then we were kind of between boats. And Anthony said, um, <clears throat> called me up to come in his office. And he said, uh, you know, I want to put a team together. I uh, want you to think about it. And I was 
actually leaving to go to Mazatlan to fish a boat a tournament down there on the after midnight. And uh, somebody called and said, hey, you know, uh, Anthony's on the phone. Can you take the call? And I picked it up and he's like, I just bought your boat. And I'm like, just bought my boat. We haven't even come to terms or made a decision we were going to do anything or, or whatever. And I'm like, well, I guess he's all in. I am too. So we, we kind of took off and went from there. And yeah, we had a, we had Kings Mill with us and uh, Grossbeck and, you know, Andy Horner and, you know, just so, so Ryan Burr. And I had a lot of my commercial team uh, on and off with us, you know, we'd bring guys in and bring them out and, you know, Jimmy's so great looking short range up on the roof. You know, he was a huge asset, uh, Kings Mill and, uh, and Anthony's a great angler and he's spotting the heck out of them too. You know, it was, it was just OB, you know, and all the Mexico ones. And we had Randy Parker. I just super blessed to be able to put together such great teams and Anthony support me and all my decisions and whatever I wanted to do. He, he'd go for it, man. And he, you know, I'm just super fortunate that a lot of guys have put me in a lot of really good positions, Dave. Oh my God. There's nothing better than having an owner with the same type of passion that you have. And you get to actually go fish for fish and enjoy that whole thing. And Anthony put together a hell of a team, but he's a great captain in his own right. He can handle it. But then he put together you guys, the year that you guys won with the bad company, the Bisbees, he was on a different boat. You were fishing for him, but he was fishing on a different boat, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we were split up. We had two different boats that year. And that was, um, that was giant. Uh, Evan just, I think beat our record this year. Um, it was a multi-year, um, payout that they had and, and that really helped their cause. Uh, but yeah, that 3.9 million, it held up for good going to those guys. Um, but that, that thing held up for 17 years and, you know, that was, uh, that's, that's quite a while to, to, to have a record and we were real fortunate. You know, we, we swept that tournament. It got shrunk down into a two day tournament. We had the biggest fish each day. So it was a, like a true sweep, you know, um, we would have won the the release tournament too in that one, but we weren't in that division, but I think we let five other ones go. So we, we, we had some really good fishing, really good group of guys, OB and Randy Parker and Pete and Andy and, and Kings Mill and myself. That was, that was a great team. Jimmy, I had Jimmy on the show a couple months ago and you were very busy at that time, but he talked about when he came to you with those fancy schmancy binoculars can you talk about that a little bit? Because that's a great story Jimmy told. A lot of people weren't watching back then, but wasn't that a game changer when he showed oh, up? Oh, oh, yeah. No, no. I think Jimmy was one of the very first guys using it. Actually, Bob Bowie was the first guy on the sea call, and he had these Fujinons that he was using, and he wasn't – he anyway, um, yeah, and J- Jimmy, Jimmy brought those Pellings in and – I, I was still using the Zeiss for a number of years uh, after the guys had, had were, were using the Pellings and I had about half of my crew in the Pellings and I was in still in the Zeiss and I'd been using the Zeiss so long. I, I still did pretty well with them. And there was, there was times we had a couple of guys in gyros and a couple of airplanes and I was finding the only fish even in the Zeiss. So, but yeah, what a game changer, man. And the distance you can see him at and the stabilization and huge game changer. And Jim, Jimmy was a huge proponent of that. Definitely one of the one of the first guys and one of the big promoters of it. Yeah, so I've heard this from a lot of different captains, and let's see if you feel the same way. Sonar or gyros? Which one can you do without? That was, that was Anthony's question. Anthony asked me that back in uh, 2008 on a seminar that I was putting on and uh, I never been so tongue-tied in my life so the fishery that I'm doing now with the blue marlin with the whole bad company fishing adventures thing um, I I would rather have a sonar but so often the gyros get you located to where the sonar is effective so now I'm probably in the sonar 70% 70% of the time and I'm probably in the gyros 20% of the time and I'm eyeballing 10% of the time, but 
I would say that's a fairly accurate deal. And then there's other times we don't even turn the sonar on. Sword fishing never even goes on, you know, anymore it doesn't. Um, so it depends it Depends on the fishery, completely right. depends on the fishery. Now that Omni sonar that you're using, a lot of us have never got to see. It's a big money object, but it's a game changer, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it, so we always talk about tools and, you know, how many tools you have in your bag. And, you know, it's like a carpenter. He doesn't go out and, and uh, try and build a house without a circular saw, you know, it, 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 but you could, you know, you could use a hand saw and build a home, but you know, you're just not going to be that effective. Well, it's the same thing with, with this Omni and the Omni is great for single fish ID and tunas and, you know, stuff like that. But, it's absolutely worthless when it comes to like sea bass fishing, yellowtail fishing, um, you know, fishing, pulling fish off of rock piles, amberjack grouper, stuff like that. It's it's almost a liability. And, uh, you know, then you go back to the, well, then, the, you know, there's, there's basically three different kinds. There's a searchlight that's an eight degree cone. And that's like the 250 and the 300 and the 500, 600, those, that style. And then there's the sector, which is like the CH-37. And that CH-37 arguably is still a better all-around all unit than the Omni for fishing for everything from A to Z. I would, if I had to fish from A to Z, I would, I would pick a CH-37 over an Omni. But if, but if I was spending 80% of my time blue marlin fishing, I, I, I'd have to go with the Omni for certain hands down, you know? So once again, there's different tools for different applications and knowing what those limitations are and putting the time in to figure it out. It's so, so many guys, I'll, I'll go into a fleet and I'll know that 10 guys got an Omni and I'll look at seven of them and they're looking over their shoulder and it's like, you got a hundred thousand dollar unit. And I know for certain that a lot of times the hits only on the screen two or three, two or three times the object is on the screen. It's like one, two, three. And if you've broken concentration that amount of time and you're not messing with the tilt, you lost your opportunity. And that opportunity might be the second that you stop the boat that puts the boat in position for the whole rest of the day or the whole week. So you almost have to have a guy staring at the screen every second. And if you don't, no sense buying it. If you're not willing to put the time in to utilize it, you know, it's kind of like the gyro stabilizing binoculars, right? If you don't look at them, they're kind of worthless in the case, right? Yeah, man, they're no good sitting on your dash, you know. If you, it's, it's, but all my guys that I bring, if they're not willing to be that dedicated, they get one trip, you know. And if they're willing to be that dedicated and they'll put the time in, whether it's binoculars, sonar, whatever it is, staying up all night, soaking a bait. I don't want the guy that's on his cell phone all day, man. I, I, if, if it was up to me. I'd put a basket on the dash and I'd make everybody put their phone on it. They could check it, you know, in staggered intervals so that we didn't lose and nobody broke concentration for a second. But that's just me. No, I understand. That's what you told me the day you took me fishing. You go, where's your cell phone? Bring it over here. Put it in this basket. Yeah. And you're not filming what we're doing today. Um, okay. So your son, David, is doing one unbelievable job documenting your life now what you're doing and everything it's so spectacular to watch all the cool videos he's making he's he's him and my uh producer elliot have worked together for a while they talk all the time but the footage that he's putting together and the cool things he's doing right now absolutely incredible can you talk about that for a few minutes because that's cool and elliot will show some great footage as we're talking yeah, so uh, Anthony hired him, and he's doing uh, most of the videography along with Tanner. Uh, he's Tanner's doing more of the producing, but for Bad Company Fishing Adventures, and that's the YouTube videos and on Instagram, and uh, that you know they got some clothing stores now and stuff. But super proud of him. Uh, we we uh, we had a couple of different gentlemen come out and shoot some video and. Um, they were just not getting the, the shots the way that we felt we should. And then I started looking back at Anthony's posts from years ago and it's like, well, David took all the killer footage that is on all the pictures with all the black Marlin and blue Marlin and swordfish and, you know, just 
all of the really super cool stuff David had shot and he'd never picked up a camera before. I don't think ever. And uh, he popped on a boat and uh, Tanner threw a camera in his hand and gave him some basic um, instruction on how to use it. And, you know, bless his heart, man. He, he put the time in and like I'm saying, every second that, that kid's sitting down either at the computer or looking at it or reading about how to get better at it. And I'm very, very proud of him, man. He's, he's getting, uh, you know, drone footage, you know, like it's showing there, whales, swordfish. I mean, that swordfish video is just spectacular and uh, super stoked that we're, we're, we're having the opportunity to do this together. I've never really got to share my life really with any of my family. I really don't talk about what I do when I come home much at all. And so him getting to see it firsthand, I think is pretty special. And then the fact that he gets to document it is really spectacular for the rest of us on the outside, not being out there with you every day, but watching what David's putting together and the great footage that he has. But I think the number one reason why he's able to put that together is because he grew up out there on the water. He's, he sees what's going on. He's, he's not like taking a cameraman and going, Hey, we'll come out and film some other stuff. David grew up Lasley. Let's be honest. He knows he's already, He's with you. You're already telling him, hey, we're going to go do this. And he's like, yeah, dad, I remember we did that yesterday. And then he's filming it before it happens because he already knows you can't you can't uh, create. It's like you said in the beginning of this. Some of us are just born with it. I think David being being your son, he was kind of in his DNA. And then to be able to video this fishery is just incredible. The stuff he's done with this swordfish. But everything else, but the swordfish video, that drone footage of when Anthony gets bit, that whole thing, that's magical. None of us ever get to see that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got an eye. He really honestly does. And, you know, like I was saying earlier, I put, we, we put a pellet gun in his hand when he was five years old, you know, because he, he, uh, you know, he could handle it and, and just all that experience you get looking down the barrel and, you know, hiking around out, we, we live out in the country. And so, you, you know, you, you just learn all the angles and where you got to be. And yeah, it's like that one there. I mean, that's stuff like that's stupid, you know, and you can, um, you can talk about it and you, I, I'm not big about telling stories. I'm, I'm not good at that. I, I'm kind of milk toast, flatline type of guy, but you, people can watch the videos and, the picture is worth a thousand words. Well, sometimes it's worth a million words, you know, and a, a lot of these videos that, that David's gotten and things that, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to see this stuff and cherish this stuff and look back at those moments, you know, for the rest of our lives. It's pretty awesome. Oh, it's so special. It's just so, and then to get to do it with your son, that makes it even more special. You guys are getting to go because of Anthony and because of what he's yeah put together you guys are getting to see some of the most incredible fisheries and now you guys are taking off to go somewhere pete was talking about it last week when pete grosbeck was on the show you guys are going to an area that hasn't really been fished yeah you know so it, it is and i and I, I you know you hit the, the 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 nail on the head there earlier it's like how do you ever repay a guy like anthony you know he's spending a tremendous amount of money putting all this stuff together and we're, we're getting to do this as, as a, as a father and son and as a team, and he's a part of my team and, you know, just can't ever repay somebody for something like that. But, um, and then talking about where we're going to, so there's an Island, uh, it's, it's in the Atlantic and it's South of the equator, about 400 miles, 500 miles. It's called Ascension Island. And, uh, nobody's been able to go there in seven or eight years. Um, we've been told that, about one out of seven fish is uh, over a thousand pounds. And wow. uh, there's been a, a lot of really giant ones uh, seen and hooked and lost there. Uh, I think we'll give it 20 or 25 days or something like that. And uh, see if they're still there. I'm sure they're So when you put together a trip like this, you're going down there. A, a lot of it's on your shoulders. You have to go and examine the water and go look at all that stuff. It's, it's a, it's a passion, right? You got the passion. You want yeah. to learn how to read that water. That's a super important thing, right? Oh yeah. No. And I go back and look at historical data and then I watched, I watch weather patterns 
for all the areas that we're going to months in advance or even years in advance, like we're looking at Indian Ocean now stuff and um, just trying to see if there's um, any any steady flow to anything. And then, you know, we couple all that with the sea surface temperatures. I work real close with uh, Ocean Imaging and Seaview. I've worked with them. They used to send us our uh, water temperature shots when Ian first put the company together in 85. We had that old 208. We keep talking about paper machines. We had the old 208A weather facts. And you know how you punched it to a sideband frequency to 4146 or whatever, you know, the, the different uh, frequencies were. And we had our own sideband frequency and they would shoot us uh, sea surface temperature charts over that paper uh, weather facts. Crazy. So that's how long we've been working with those guys. And Mark up there, he's been just phenomenal about getting us, you know, some pretty high tech stuff and working with me. That guy's a genius with it. And Mark Hess up there at, at Seaview. And I, I highly recommend everybody to, to do that, you know, and then if you, what you, what you got to do to make that work the best is get the exact numbers of where the fish were the exact time of day, and then go back and look at, um, all of the different shots, the 50 meter shot, the hundred meter shot, the surface, the chlorophyll, the oxygen, and just tune them up. You can tune that particular shot up and get the most out of it. And then, uh, see if you have any correlation. We definitely found some pretty cool stuff where we were driving right to them uh, in the Azores. And then the next day that it would change and we'd drive 50 miles away and, you know, boats were going to where we were the day before and we'd go 50 miles away and crap conk them over there. And, you know, it's pretty gutsy stuff making a 50 mile change in an area that you don't know based on a subsurface temperature shot. Well, you know what really spectacular is this goes coincides with everything we're talking about. Like Steve just said, gang, making a 50 mile move because you know why? Because everything matters. And Steve looked at it and saw that the water moved and the things were happening over there. That goes back to everything that matters. And Carl, you'll love this comment I'm going to make. This has got to be the hardest thing for you, Steve, because you like Mr. Secretive is having all this stuff being filmed now all the time. It's got to be kind of different for you right right carl i mean come on think about steve's getting videographer filming him working (laughs) yeah yeah so for sure i spent my whole life um trying to hide from people spent you know tens of thousands of dollars you know so people wouldn't hear us on the radio and we'd leave in the middle of the night we'd turn our lights off and we'd run in the complete dark and you know we'd go the wrong direction if we saw a fog bank and drive into the fog bank and then as soon as we were in the fog we'd turn and run as hard as we could the other way and did everything we could anchor in spots that weren't anchorages just so that people didn't know where we were and wouldn't find us and uh, leave at oddball hours and just drift you know or stay on the shoot or whatever we had to do to to hide. So, and then the other side of it is I'm getting old and Anthony and I talked about that. And, you know, it's like, uh, if you don't start passing some of it down, then all that stuff dies with you. So might as well share it with the kids that matter that work hard and are up and coming. I'm a hundred percent open book, man. If, if you, if you're working your butt off and you're giving every, everything you got to it, then you're truly trying hard and you're paying attention and, Life's just not a party and you want to be better. I'm an open book, man. Call me anytime. That's what I do love about you. You've helped me out tremendously. You are definitely a big help in this industry. And, you know, you've taken on some really great guys. Andy, I mean, look at you and Andy. You guys have been together forever. Andy's one hell of a fisherman. That guy is insane. And he started out working with you when he was a little boy, right? Yep. Yep. And Ryan, Ryan Burr, the, the probably my favorite st- Andy for sure, man. And yeah, he's, he started with me. I don't think he was 20 yet. And then uh, Ryan Burr over there at Catalina, uh, he used to be in this little like 12 foot outboard little runabout boat. And the kid would be, you'd see him in the middle of the night. It'd be raining. He'd have a tarp pulled over him and there'd just be a rod tip sticking out from underneath the tarp and he'd be sea bass fishing. And, you know, you kind of keep an eye on him over over a year, year and a half. And this kid was always out there. And then one day I was trying to put the anchor down on this really tiny, tiny spot, like 
a 12 by 12 bedroom. It was like that big and you had to be dead nuts on or you weren't going to get a bite. And if you were right on it, you were going to crush them. He knew where it was. He knew that I knew where it was. And he's in this little runabout and he's trying to push me off the spot. And I'm in this commercial boat and I'm putting the plank right over his boat. And he's trying to push me off. And about the second go around, I'd had enough. And I pulled right up, put my out, my anchor right over his outboard. And I knocked on the window and I said, let it go. And they're like, we're going to hit it. And they dropped it right off his outboard, and the kid drove away. And he told me I was number one, <laughs> quite emphatically. And uh, we caught him really good that night. And then a couple of days later, I saw him at the fuel dock, and um, walked up to him over at the fuel dock. And uh, he's trying to hide his head down, and he couldn't drive away because he didn't have any gas. And and I was like. Uh, so you little punk, you want a job or what? And he thought I was going to be yelling at him. And he's like, uh, 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 yeah. So I told him he had to have a B average and he had to graduate from high school. And that's his history. He got his B average and graduated from high school. And he wound up going fishing with me for seven or eight years. Unbelievable. What a bitching deal. How cool is that? Because he wanted to kill you for a minute. Yeah. So yeah. we got we got about five minutes left. I want to finish off with uh, War Heroes on Water, something that's near and dear to your heart, my heart, Anthony's heart. Um, there was something you did, and I've told you before. I want everybody to hear this. The very inaugural inaugural trip we did, and my dad, Anthony, invited my father to come to the uh, to his house, and uh, my dad idolized you. He really did. He thought you were like. You know, I told you a hundred times when I moved to Cabo, he thought I see you every day. He thought you were like Mr. Cabo. He didn't understand you were everywhere, but there was so much going on at War Heroes and you're so good at connecting with each and every one of the War Heroes. But my father was there and you took the time and you went and you got Anthony and you brought Anthony over to his table. I'm going to cry. And you sat down and you spent a half an hour with my dad. And that was like, one of the most special things that could have possibly happened. My dad just ate that. He talked about it all the way until the day he passed away. Yeah. He was a good man, man. He signed for my time for my license. How could I not respond to that guy? You know, he, your dad was one of my heroes for, for certain. And yeah, man, if you guys can get involved in war heroes on the water, I, I assure you um, it'll be the best thing that you could ever do in your life. You'll get way more out of it than you're given to the vets. Take the time to do it. Those guys are heroes. They're true heroes. You got to hear their stories. We got to support those guys, man, and bless their hearts. So those, uh, every one of them, no matter how goofed up they are, without with what to a to a man and to a woman said, even if they knew the outcome, they'd do it again. You know, and I always go back to no greater love has man had for another than to put your own life on the line, and these guys do it willingly every single day, and they do it again in a minute. And gang, Elliot's throwing up everything about War Heroes, Freedom Alliance. There's a QR code. We, This is a fundraiser year-round. These men and women gave, sacrificed everything that they could possibly sacrifice so you and Steve and I can go fishing and have fun and hang out with Mark Rayer and go fish Lopez Mateos. I didn't do anything spectacular to live the life I did, but boy, these men and women, they gave it all. So if you have... If you can feel it at all in your heart, hit that QR code there. Donate to War Heroes on Water. Every little bit helps. And uh, we'll put together another phenomenal tournament next year for them. Anthony has done so much for these yeah. guys. He's given back so much to these guys. It's incredible. Yeah, he has, man. And we, we can't thank Anthony enough for all that. And then you have a War Hero working for you as like the head of security for Team Bad Company, right? Yeah, he, he wound up a little bit of an issue there with, with his back here, but uh, what we hope to see Woody here back pretty soon. He was one of our inaugural guys. Yep, I'm very blessed to have been a part of this since the very beginning, and it's very special in my heart to be a part of. So I want to thank you and Anthony for allowing me to be a part. Gang, I hope you all understand how special this interview was with Steve. He's one of the most busiest human beings on the planet to give us an hour of your time, Steve, I very, I'm blessed. I feel very, very happy that you gave us an hour. We're going to let you get going and do your stuff. I want to Yeah, one last thing real, real quick. Yeah, if I could. Don't forget, if you're looking for a yacht with Kaladi oh, yeah. Yacht Sales in, 
Yeah, right. uh, doing a lot with the Galati guys, still selling a lot of boats, building a lot of boats and stuff like that. Uh, look me up, feel free, whatever. No, no big deal. This is more about the fishing. Yeah, you guys, if you guys want someone to set you up on a bitching yacht or just come in and find out if the boat you're thinking about buying is really worth buying, there's not going to be anybody on the planet that knows more about it than this man right here. He's built a lot of boats, put a lot of great things together in the industry. So he won't let you down. I can promise you that. But I want to thank everybody for watching. Make sure you hit the share button. And once again, Mr. Lasley, thank you very much for you're your welcome. time. Because I know it's special. Thanks everybody for watching. Thank you very, very much, gang. All right, Elliot, we're done. Take care. See ya.